Well, good morning, everyone. Y'all can't be changing seats on me. We have a signed seating here. Y'all know how it messes me up. It rattles my nerves. Please find your way, chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, as we learn more about our Lord and Savior. Pray for the Walcott family. They'll do anything to not sit through one of my sermons. They won't pop the flute. It happens. Also, hey, mark your Bible back there in Psalm 80. We'll, we'll go back there, too. We know that Jesus has now turned his attention to his disciples. No more public ministry. It's time for Jesus to, to prepare his disciples for the mission that is set before them. Jesus is equipping them to do the work of God. There's a change coming. They will have to do this work without Jesus physically being with them. Since the beginning of his ministry, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. Jesus began his ministry with these words after he was baptized. He said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is the kingdom of God. And throughout his ministry, he taught what the kingdom of God is and how anyone can be a part of the kingdom by repentance and believing in the gospel. Jesus has taught his disciples exactly what that means during his time on earth. He spoke of what has happened. He taught on what will happen. And he has taught on what must happen. That's the big one. Jesus is now teaching them on what must happen. What is this? What is that teaching? Well, he's teaching that Jesus is the son of God, the kingdom of God, that Jesus, the son of God, the kingdom of God must go to the cross. Jesus must give up his life to ransom sinful man. And Jesus was willing to do the Father's will, that is to lay down his life for others. And he wants his disciples to understand this, to understand what love is. He has loved them. He has demonstrated what true love looks like. And they're going to see what perfect love looks like in just a few days when he lays down his life. So let's see what Jesus is teaching them and us today here in John chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. That is that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears more much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We can see that Jesus is the true vine, clearly said here. He also states that 
God the Father is the vine dresser. The branches that Jesus speaks of are the true disciples. And we'll see in a minute who are the ones who are cut off and thrown into the fire. But the first thing we notice is that Jesus has spoken another I am statement. This is the last one of the I am sayings. Jesus has made several I am statements and each, each one not only pointed to his unique divine identity and purpose, but each statement gave encouragement and, and assurance to his people. Here, when he says that I am the true vine, he is giving assurance to his disciples. Think about what's happening and, what's, and what is about to happen when Jesus made this statement to them. Remember, Jesus is preparing the 11 to carry on the mission without him, without him. Jesus knows that the crucifixion, his resurrection, and his subsequent departure for heaven was just around the corner. So he's building up the men for their mission. He was encouraging, assuring, and equipping them to go into all the nations and share the good news. He has told them previously that he would be leading them back in chapter 14. But that truth is not sunk in yet. Uh, you know, put, put yourself in their position. All this is happening so quick. You know, they're, I'm sure they're confused, probably scared. Because they didn't know the future like Jesus did. You see, Jesus has been with them for three and a half years. And now he says, I'm going to leave you. So knowing how disturbed they, they would feel, he gave them this lovely metaphor of the true vine as one of the encouragements. Jesus wanted his friends, not only those 11, but those of all time, to know that even though he was going away, he was not going to desert them. He wanted them to understand, even though they would, he, they would no longer enjoy his physical presence, his living energy, his spiritual reality would continue to nourish and sustain them as the roots and trunk of a grapevine produce the energy that nourishes and sustains its branches while they develop their fruit. Jesus wanted them to know that even though they could not see him anymore, they were still closely connected to him as the branches of a vine are connected to the stem. Understanding that truth would give them comfort and encouragement and cause their hearts to abide in him, desire him over anything in this world. They would grow to know him and love him more each and every day. And they could do this because the power to serve him will keep flowing into them and through them, through Christ. Amen. The same goes for us. We must abide even though Jesus is not physically with us. So with that said, let's break down some of these verses. First of all, Jesus says that the father is the gardener, the vine dresser. Now, Jesus' role is, in, is central in these verses, yes, but make note here. The father is not just someone in the background. God the Father is active in all of this. He trims and prunes the branches. You know, a lot of times people see God the Father as this far away, unattached, judging, angry being, ready to rain down judgment and punishment, which is not true. He is just, yes. But judgment is not what consumes him. 
He is God. He has all the attributes of God. He is not this mean, old, unapproachable being. God, so what? Oh, there you go. God the Father so loved the world that he sent his only son. That's that's love. Does that sound like some angry God bringing down judgment? I don't think so. He's providing a way out because of his love. Something to think about here. When God saved us, we did not just receive the Holy Spirit. We received it all. We have the Spirit. We have Jesus. We have God the Father. They are all involved in our lives. They are one at work in our lives, and they all love the children of God. Amen? That should encourage us. God the Father is active. Don't miss that point. Now, let's talk about the vine and branches. Why did Jesus bring this up? And why did John put it in his gospel? He's the only one that did. Well, first of all, as we know and have seen, John is a master of throwing in echoes from the Old Testament without saying they are from the Old Testament. So when you're reading this gospel, listen intently for the echoes. And if you do, you will see that there is a transition that is taking place here. Now, if you look back, what do we see? If we look back in the Old Testament, we see that the vine is a common symbol for Israel. That is the covenant people of God. It's in the Psalms, it's in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the other prophets. And, you, and if you listen to those echoes and do a little digging, you will quickly find some very interesting facts about the vine and its branches. Most remarkable is, that the, the, is the fact that whenever historic Israel is referred to under this figure, it is the vine's failure to produce good fruit that is emphasized. Israel is seen as a vine that does not produce good fruit. We can also see that the failure to produce good fruit comes with a threat of God's judgment on the nation. Over the years, God longed for fruit, but the vine, that is Israel, became degenerate and produced rotten fruit. And now, put that together with Christ, now we have Jesus proclaiming, I am the true vine. I am the one to whom Israel pointed, the one that brings forth good fruit. Jesus has already, in principle, superseded the temple, the Jewish feast, Moses, various holy sites. Here, he supersedes Israel as the very center of the people of God. Jesus is the true vine, fulfills what God had intended for Israel. Perhaps the most important Old Testament about uh, passage about this is Psalm 80. If you turn over there, it brings together the themes of the vine and the son of man. So when we hear this again in a couple of weeks, it should perk your ears up quickly. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of the tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. 
Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sets out, it, it sent out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its wall so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all, the, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted and for the sun whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face, but let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. So the true vine was spoken of back in the Psalms and we could see it here. And we, and we can see here that it's not the apostate people, but Jesus himself. God is letting us know that he has had a plan from the beginning. And he is showing that Christ was the true vine from the beginning. Jesus himself is the true vine. And those who are incorporated in him, that is those who invite in him are part of that vine. So if one's desire is to enjoy the status of being part of God's chosen vine, they must be rightly related to Jesus. They must be one with Jesus. They must be attached to Jesus. The imagery of the vine suggests incorporation, does it not? It brings in mutual indwelling, and from there comes fruitfulness. Now, many commentators will say that Jesus is the total vine. He's He's not just a trunk, but he's the branches too. Well, I disagree with that because the, that imagery doesn't work for me because that would mean that Jesus himself is in need of pruning. And we know that's not necessary. So the branches are in Christ. In Christ, in Christ. We have heard this language back in chapter 14. If you look back right there, just flip your page, verse 18, it says this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. Remember, he's telling days leaving him. But you will see me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am what in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. He is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So Jesus builds on that statement with the imagery of the vine and the branches abiding in him, feeding off of him, getting strength from him. He's telling his disciples, look at it this way. I'm the vine. You guys are the branches. We are connected. Even though I'm not here, we will be connected. And he says the branches derive their life from the vine. And from there, the vine produces its fruit through the branches. Jesus is the true vine. 
that produces good fruit. Write this verse in your Bible there, Matthew 3, 7 through 10, just a little side note on not bearing fruit. Listen to what John the Baptist said about uh, bearing fruit. It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. So this is not just pruning here. This is taking out the whole tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, these leaders were not the true vine. They were not even part of the true vine. They believed they were part of Israel just because of their heritage, of true Israel just because of their heritage, which we know is not the way one becomes a child of God or a part of the kingdom. But here again, we can see the imagery of the cutting off of the one who is not bearing fruit. You know, the fruit that John was talking about here is the fruit of repentance, meaning they have not turned from their sin and have not turned to the one true living God. And because of that, they will face judgment. The Father will do the pruning. Look back at our text here in John verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, many have wrestled with this text over the years because of the words, in me. In me, God cuts off or takes away any branch that does not bear fruit that is in me. So the question is, who is this dead wood that was in Jesus or is in Jesus? You see, the phrase in me has prompted considerable speculation as to whether John was thinking of the Jews who were once in God's vine, but who have now been cast off, or, or apostate Christians. What they're saying is that a person may have once been in Christ, but now they are no longer. You know, we were in Christ when we were doing fruit, doing good fruit, but now we're no longer. Christ cut me off. Think about that statement as we walk through this. Because I have a difficult time with that. You're in, but you're not. You're in, but you're not. So let's break down these, these thoughts. Some say that the text is speaking of the Jews. The problem is, is how were Jews who never put their trust in Jesus be cut off from him if they were never in him? Remember, Jesus is speaking about the ones who are in him. Others have said that these dead branches are apostate Christians. So let's talk about apostasy for a minute. What is apostasy? Well, there's two types, two types of apostate Christians. The first one is a person who claims to be a Christian, but has fallen away from key and true doctrines of the Bible and to heretical, heretical teachings that claim to be the real Christian doctrine. Most of the time, these people will say that they claim to have secret knowledge or they have unlocked something in the scriptures that other people have not been able to see. T. 
teachings such as Jesus is a God instead of the God. Stuff like that. So one, one apostate Christian is one that falls away from the truths taught in the word of God. The other apostate Christian is one who, is com who completely denies the Christian faith after a while, which results in a full abandonment of Christ. They had been a believer, quote, believer for a while, and then they deny Christ. We've all know people like that, met them in our lives. They walk away and they say they do not believe. Judas is a prime example of this. He was with Jesus the entire time, yet in the end, he betrays Jesus and he walks away. He was good at acting like a believer. If you remember when Jesus tells his disciples, hey, there's one who's going to betray me. What did disciples say? What did they say? Who's that going to be? Who is it? Who did that? They didn't know. They was asking, is it me? None of them, not one of them said, it's Judas. I knew it. They didn't do it. Why? No one suspected him. He looked and acted just like all the other disciples. If you looked at Judas's life, you could not tell that he was never in Christ. He was never in Christ. He wasn't one with Christ. And that's the point that I'm making here. That these people talk about the apostate Christians and the Jews. They were never in Christ. Jesus is not saying that he'll take away the Jew that was never in him. He is not speaking about apostate Christians who never knew him. So let's keep digging. Look at our text again. We're going to read this several times. Y'all have this. Y'all have this down by the time we get done, I'm sure. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, the ones who are already clean, the ones who are in him. He is training, equipping a group of believers. The ones who, who the one who never believed, who was never in Christ, well, he's gone. Judas is gone. These are 11 believers there. So Jesus is preparing his believers to go out into the nation and bear fruit. He says, Here's how you have the power. Here's how you have the energy, the ability to bear fruit. You will stay in me. In order to do so, what is God, in order to do what God has called you to do, they must stay plugged in to the power source. You know, that's a great way to look at our walk with the Lord, right? If you was a phone, you charged up in the morning, right? Full charge. And you go out into the day. And as the day goes on, you become weaker. You can operate on your own for a little while. But you don't get, but if you don't get back to that tower power source, you will die and shut down. Jesus is encouraging his disciples, the ones who are in him. You can stay plugged in 
to the power source at all times. You don't have to be in a certain place. You don't have to be in a certain position. No, at all times, I am in you and you are in me. Now, keep this in mind here. Jesus is speaking to believers when he says he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Or when he says, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers and such branches are picked up and thrown and burned, thrown to the fire and burn. I want to point out here, the reason that many miss what Jesus is teaching here is they get focused on those two verses in this whole passage. They get focused on these two verses and they keep asking, who are the ones that get cut off? Who are the ones that are thrown away? Am I saved? Am I not saved? Who are these people? Who are the ones that's thrown into the fire? I think it would, it would, I think if we read this text again, we'll have the answer. And I believe it will really help us. So I want you to get I want you to get your pen ready. And I under want and I want you to underline a few words in your holy Bible. It's okay to write in it. I want you to underline a few words in there. All right, you ready? I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you, there you go, underline you. You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Underline it. Abide in me and I in you. There it is again. As the branches cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Underline that. Unless you. Mark it, abide in me. I am the vine, you. You running out of ink? Need to sharpen your pencil? Or the branches. Whoever abides in me and I, I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you, underline it, can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he goes away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you, who's he talking to, you, abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. It will be done you. This is my, this is, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Well, I don't know how many times you's in there. But I would, enough, enough. Who's God talking to? He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the ones who are with him on that day and the ones who are reading and listening to his word today. He's talking to you and me. The problem that many have with this text is they can't see that God is talking to them. We are looking for those ones who to be cut off instead of looking at ourselves. We spend hours and hours of time judging others instead of ourselves. And then we end up missing what God is saying to us. What's the lesson here? What is Jesus teaching here? What is Jesus telling his disciples to do? Go and bear fruit for the glory of God. Go and bear fruit showing the world that you are a true disciple. So guess what we have to do? We have to do a self-examination and make sure we, or you, are doing what God has called us to do. 
But if you do not do what God has called you to do, then judgment will fall upon you. Fire always represents judgment. Now, is this judgment on a disobedient believer a judgment of lost salvation? Just because you didn't bear the right fruit or enough fruit or, you know, where's that level at? No, that's not. We know that his true disciples are preserved to the end. So I want you to write this verse in your margins, John 10, 27 through 29. Write that in there. So if you ever come back across this, you're not going to doubt your salvation. Am I a child of God? Am I cut off? Am I thrown into the fire if I didn't do something exactly right? I want you to listen to this. My sheep, whose sheep? Jesus. Jesus, is, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Who gives the eternal life? Jesus does. And they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And you know what? If that's not enough assurance, Jesus says this. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Does that give you assurance to know who you are in Christ? Just because you are disobedient doesn't mean that you will lose your salvation, but there are consequences for your actions. There are consequences for our actions if we do not bear fruit for the glory of God. There is judgment if we do not abide in him. Listen to this. We all know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. You can't boast about your salvation that you did something, that you bared some special fruit to get your salvation. We know where, where uh, salvation comes from. That's how, that, that is how we are saved. Now, everybody stops here and nobody reads verse 10 to tell them what we're to do once we are saved. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God saves us for a reason, to bring him glory. And we do that by bearing fruit. How does that fruit manifest itself? Through the good works that we do, the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. We didn't get saved to do nothing. You know, I'm saying I'm going to heaven. I lay on the couch. I'd be questioned about that. I'm going to lay here and just wait for God to bring me home. It may be quicker than you think. When salvation comes, that is when we get busy bearing fruit for God. I've heard people to say, man, life was a lot easier before salvation. I kind of get what they're saying, you know. It's easier in a way, but it's not that. It's not that. When salvation comes, you stop living for yourself and start living for God. That's a big change. That's a big change. It's easy to feed our selfish desires. That's easy, you know. When, when, when I hear the text about, you know, love your neighbors, you love yourself, I'm sitting there thinking, man, nobody loves Rob Barton like Rob Barton loves Rob Barton. <laughs> you know? So that's a love ourselves. It's really easy to do. But let me say this. 
it's a lot easier to do what God has called us to do when we realize what God has done for us. Amen. We are new creations. We are no longer trying to fulfill our selfish desires, our selfish desires. We are no longer just loving ourselves. We are now loving God and others. We are now bearing, bearing fruit, doing good works and glorifying God. Amen. So let me back up just for a minute. I mentioned that judgment will come on those who are in him if they do not bear fruit. I told you it was not a loss of salvation. So, so what is this judgment? What could it be? Well, first of all, it will be a loss of blessings. You know, do you think God is going to bless you if you're being disobedient, not doing the work that he has prepared for you? Do we do that with our children? Kids, you think your parents are happy when you disobey them? Oh, I'm so happy you don't listen to me. Here's a hundred dollars. Go out and have a good time. No. They want to bless you, but they're not going to bless your disobedience, and God, God's not going to bless our disobedience. So we have loss of blessings that may happen. Maybe this judgment is a loss of crowns or rewards. Jesus promised various rewards for those who faithfully serve him on the earth. See it in Matthew, 1 Corinthians, and Revelations. And some of those rewards are crowns. You know what we do with those crowns? We receive these crowns, and we get to heaven, we throw them at the feet of Jesus as an act of worship. I want to throw everything I got. So maybe we lose rewards. Maybe the judgments lose rewards or crowns. Or maybe God just may take you out. We read about that in First Corinthians. We hear that a lot, right? Verse 30. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. In Corinth, they were not bearing fruit. They had a lifestyle of selfishness. They were creating disunity and cared about the things of God and what happened. What happened to them? Judgment came. Now, does that mean we walk around in fear thinking that God's going to take us home if we do one thing wrong or miss that one opportunity of doing good, helping an old lady cross the street? No. Do we fear that God's going to take us home if we just sin and, and do something wrong, don't listen to our parents? No. We are not perfect, but we strive for perfection. You see? We're not sinless, but we seek to not sin. We're not perfect fruit bearers, but we do bear fruit. You see, that's the difference. This text here should make all of us take a deep look into our hearts, your own heart, not anyone else's heart. We're not fruit inspectors, as some believe. The only fruit we inspect our only fruit we are to examine is the fruit of false teachers who've preached the false gospel. That one, Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. That's the fruit we examine. So we examine our own fruit stand. Okay. Is our fruit good? Because Jesus says a good tree will bear good fruit. Examine ourselves all the time. Check to see if 
you're fruity or not. And I've been around some of y'all long enough to know you're fruity. I mean, you know, like in a good, not fruity like that. I mean, you, there's good fruit. Good fruits coming from you guys. Good stuff. Examine ourselves. Look again at verse two. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. He cuts off the friends, right? Branches that don't produce fruit. Jesus continued. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. Here's the truth. If you are in Christ, you are pruned if you do and pruned if you don't. <laughs> Again, that should encourage us. That should encourage us. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all active in our lives at all times. We produce fruit, and Jesus says a little pruning, and you'll produce more. That's love. God cares about our growth. God cares about our fruit. We are to show the world this fruit for God's glory. So what is this fruit that we keep talking about? Well, if one were to examine his fruit stand, what kind of fruit would be out there? What would you see? Well, there's several different kinds of spiritual fruit that are named in the Bible. Romans 1.13 says this, we bear fruit when we win others to Christ. I like that. We are part of the har harvest, John 4, 35, 38. Scripture says in Romans 6.22, as we grow in holiness and obedience, we are bearing fruit. Paul considers, considered Christian giving to be fruit from a dedicated life. Then, of course, we know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kind, patience, kindness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit gives us the Christian character that glorifies God and makes Christ real to others. We have our good works, our services. That is fruit that grows out of, of our abiding life, Colossians 1.10. And then we have the praise that comes from our hearts and lips is actually fruit to the glory of God in Hebrews 13. So there should be a bunch or many fruits on our fruit stand. And most of them are visible. Examiners. Examiners. Because a true branch, united with the true vine, will always bear fruit. Not every branch bears a bumper crop, just as not every field has a bumper harvest. But there is always fruit where there is life. If you abide in him, there will be fruit. Now, we're going to talk about this abiding in him next week. But I want, to, I want to leave you with this thought. So I want you to think about this all week long, about abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ begins by worshiping him. That's where it begins. Abiding in the true vine begins by worshiping God. And it's so funny as I was studying and writing this out, 
I was listening to Adrian Rogers, and he said this about worshiping God. He said, oh, how God wants us to worship him. Why does God want us to worship him? Why does God want us to do this? Does our worship enrich God? I mean, if you give God your money, God's not richer. If you give God your strength, God's not stronger. If you give God your knowledge, God does not learn anything from you. God is God, but yet God wants us to love him and worship him because he's love. And love wants to give and love wants to receive. And God wants us to worship him, not primarily for what worship does for him, but for what worship does for us. Why? Because we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. If you worship idols, you become like idols. He says the man molds the idol and then the idol molds the man. If we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, we become like the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you want to abide in Christ and produce good fruit? Start by worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Amen.